Well, good morning to you again, Rock Hill friends. If you are with us here in person, if you're online joining us, Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. I, I am in this uh, season of tension uh, in that I am watching my children grow faster than I can keep up. I know that there, are been, there have been seasons in my life where I want the season to change quickly. Particularly, 2 a.m., babies crying, oh, I can't wait to get to when they're teenagers. And now, now we're at, how do I wake them up? I just don't know how we get there, but we are there where you're in this season of life. And each of us have been in those seasons where we might want life to speed up or we want life to slow down. As a child, I couldn't wait to grow up and have my own money so that I could purchase things. What I didn't calculate was inflation, and so now I can't afford anything. But then I, I, I now, as I'm older, uh, understand why people want time to slow down and they want their health to remain so they can actually enjoy maybe some of their retirement. So we live in this constant back and forth when it comes to the seasons of life, and uh, I received a message this week um, from my wife, and she said, "Hey, in the book of Ecclesiastes, could, could you be positive?" I said, "No, right? Solomon's not positive. I mean, he is just ringing us over the head with all these things under the sun that uh, he observes the world, and he begins to realize just how just how awful things really are, the the, the futility of all." Things. And, and yet, in chapter 3, he does, he does take his glare off of kind of the under the sun, and there is a degree of which we get our vision out over the sun, and he's going to highlight some characteristics of God. The hope today is that you would see every season and everything as meaningless without Jesus. You would see every season and everything as meaningless, should be in your notes, meaningless without Jesus. Here are your Bibles. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. I'm going to go and read all 22 verses, but if you're there, will you say word? There is an occasion for everything and a time for every activity under heaven. A time to give birth and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to avoid embracing, a time to search and a time to count as lost, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Verse 9, what does the worker gain from his struggles? I've seen the task that God has given the children of Adam to keep them occupied. He has made everything appropriate or beautiful in its time. He has also put eternity in their hearts, but no one can discover the work God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and enjoy the good life. It is also the gift of God whenever, whenever anyone eats, drinks, and enjoys all of his efforts. I know that everything God does will last forever. There's no adding to it or taking from it. God works so that people will be in awe of him. 
whatever is has already been and whatever will be already is. However, God seeks justice for the persecuted. I also observe under the sun, there is wickedness at the place of judgment and there is wickedness at the place of righteousness. I said to myself, God will judge the righteous and the wicked since there is a time for every activity and every work. I said to myself, this happens so that God may test the children of Adam. I mean, yeah, Adam. And they may see for themselves that they are like animals. But the fate of the children of Adam and the fate of the animals is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath. People have no advantage over animals since everything is futile. All are going to the same place. All come from dust and all return to dust. Who knows if the spirits of the children of Adam go upward and the spirits of animals go downward to the earth. I have seen that there is nothing better than for a person to enjoy his activities because that is his reward. For who can enable them to see what will happen after he dies? Once again, Solomon, just such a beam ray of hope. Solomon, Solomon is trying to help us see that every season and everything is meaningless without Jesus. We're going to see some qualities about God here, have a Godward focus today. The first thing that we see is that, that God is the God of everything. God is the God of everything. If you look at everything under the sun, you might see it as meaningless and that is a tragic way to live. That's a tragic way to see all of things. You are born, you live, and then you die, and that's it, is what Solomon presents in our text today. Notice he says there's an occasion for everything, and then he's going to say in a time for every activity. God is the God of everything. God is the God of every activity. God is intimately involved in all of these things. There's not one thing that God is not involved in. If you recall earlier this week, the rain. You probably forgot about it, but it happened. And as the rain was coming down, I began to have this image. God is involved in every drop of rain that falls from heaven. There's not one thing that happens apart from God being involved in that. There's not one square inch, as Abraham Kuyper would say, not one square inch of all of the known universe that God would say, not, would not say, mine. I wouldn't have it any other way. God is the God of everything. He's involved and intimately aware of all things. And when things in my life don't play out the way that I think that they should, I have to remember that, that God is involved in all of these things and, and he knows truly what, what is best. I find immense comfort knowing that God has thoughts that are not my thoughts. That's what Isaiah 55 says, doesn't it? The Lord declares, my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways, for as high as the heavens are above, you, you, you don't think the way I think. That gives me great hope that there is a God who is beyond my thinking, beyond my seeing. God is the God of everything. Don't you think the God who made heaven and earth by the, his, his word, that he has all things under control, the God who's orchestrated and made all things, don't you think that, that this God is in, in charge of all things? The 
Hebrew word is hefesh. You, in Hebrew, you, you don't have any vowels. It's just consonants. Imagine how difficult Hebrew is. I did so well, I think I made a B, but hefesh, hefesh is this little word that simply means that God takes delight in all things. This idea of every activity, hephesh here is the word, and the idea is God is taking pleasure in whatever transpires, whatever is happening. God, the God of everything, he enjoys all of those things. Begin to see how everything is part of God's plan. A, A God who is shocked by the events of the earth is maybe not God at all. And this is how some people try to define and describe God in the midst of great tragedy. Well, well, God is just as heartbroken and shocked by what's happening just as much as you and I are. Now, now God is not designing us as robots in which he's, he's manipulating and forcing us to do and make decisions. Rather, God is, is outside of time. And he's orchestrating and working and moving and the things that we don't see as good. Don't you know that, that he is at work in the midst of those things? There's not one thing of which God says, I have no control over this. So often when something bad happens to us, we are prone to ask, and we all have asked it, why me? I was the younger of two boys in the home, and my statement in life, rather than why me, was that's not fair. That's not fair. And... Uh, my parents would remind me, life's not fair, all right? But maybe, maybe in the midst of, of heartache, instead of asking why me, or that's not fair, or why did this happen, or how come this took place, we, we might ask, how can I bring glory to God in the midst of this difficult season? In the midst of this time, to know that he is the God of everything, that in every occasion, in everything, he is actively taking pleasure in it. He is enjoying these things because he's orchestrating them. God, often when I'm faced with a decision, does not tell me why, but rather he promises me his presence. You ever been faced with something and you're asking God what you should do and he never tells you what you should do? He just says, Don't you remember my promise? I'm going to be with you. He's the God of everything. He's orchestrating and working. He's moving. Not only is he the God of everything, Solomon then jumps into verses 2 through 8, which is a poem. Now, one preacher said that God is the, God wrote a pop song. Now, we don't say pop songs. We say rock songs, but it's an old song from 1965. Pete Siegler wrote it, and uh, Seeger wrote it, excuse me, and it's by the birds called Turn, Turn, Turn. My, my dad used to have an oldies radio constantly playing in the garage, and uh, it would sometimes be playing. I'm not going to sing it for you. You can pull out your A-tracks if that's your jam, all right? But this song was the number one hit in 1965. All they did was replace a few of the words in the song, but they, they totally plagiarized the Bible. And he has these seven couplets, uh, these contrasting moments, a time to be born and a time to die. That, that pretty much sums up all of life, right? There's a time for that and there's a time for, for somebody to die. There's a, there's a time to plant and a time to uproot. When you 
look at life, is not life filled with good things and bad things and happy things and sad things and joyful moments and not so joyful moments? Bridges you never wanted to cross, phone calls you never wanted to have. Life is filled with these kinds of moments, but you need to know that that not only is God God of everything, God is the God of time. God is the God of time. He sits outside of time, but he knows all the time. God is aware of all these times. God, we know this throughout the scriptures. I'll just share a few of them with you. Galatians 4.4, when the time came, when the time came to completion, God sent his son, right? When the time came, Mark 1, 15, uh, the fulfillment of time has come, Jesus says, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe is what Jesus says. Romans 5, 6, while we were still sinners and at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. All throughout the scriptures, you can see God is at work in time, at the right time, making the time, doing the right things, orchestrating the time. God is, God is creating a multifaceted mosaic. I know here at our church, we don't have a, a stained glass window, but if you've ever been to a church building that has stained glass windows, you can see the intricacies. And I'm not talking about the, the broken colored glass that some churches have had in the 70s, but I'm talking about the ones that actually paint a story how beautiful they are and how each little piece frames and shapes something greater at hand. When I go visit my parents and stay in their home, I have no room in the inn. They they, uh, have set up a room for for one of their grandchildren, and I am not he. But I will go, and my nephew, who's now in college, uh, they they have kept his room as if he was living there. And when I say kept his room, when I, I'm not a very tall person, okay? Just come stand next to me, you realize, not the tallest guy in school. But I have to sleep in that bed diagonally just to fit. I mean, it's one of those like day beds, and so I'm, I'm like nestled over, and they've kept the sheets and the, all the things. And it's Star Wars. Now, I'm not against Star Wars, but I'm not talking about Luke and Leia like most of you are familiar with. I'm not even talking about Ray. I'm talking about Star Wars Rebels, which is like offshoot cartoon. Okay, so this week, I'll be in the Rebels, all right? But in his room, he also has this picture of Darth Vader. It's the most positive character in all of Star Wars. And in that picture, it's one of those pictures where if you stand back, you see Darth Vader. But when you, when you get up close, there's hundreds, if not thousands, of little photos from throughout the movies in the picture. So it's a bunch of little pictures that make a, a big picture. Look, look, God is the God of time. He's, he is in, involved in all these little things that you think are inconsequential, but in his mind, they're, they're creating a, a, and crafting a, a greater story in our midst. God is creating this beautiful picture, and, and life is like this poem. I mean, you read this poem, and you begin to go, yes, I've seen there's been times for this and times for that. And don't you know Jesus always knew the right time to show up? I mean, you recall the story of Lazarus. The first thing somebody says to him, Martha says to him, is you are late. 
What's wrong with you? How dare you show up late? Jesus is never late. You've been praying for something and you think God is never gonna show up. God's always on time. It may not be your time, but he's always on time. The trains always arrive on time with Jesus. Now, I don't need the email, there's no trains in the Bible. Don't worry about that. <laughs> Jesus knew when to heal and Jesus knew when to go to the next town. Jesus knew when to feed and Jesus knew when to not feed. Jesus knew when to speak and Jesus knew when to remain silent. Our problem is, is we often don't know the right time. But you need to trust the God of time. We, we want time to speed up and we want time to slow down. But Jesus says, I have you exactly where I want you. You may not realize it, but when you step back, one day you'll realize my timing is always right. He's the God of time. He's the God of everything. He's the God of time. Now watch this in verses 9 and 10. He's the God of the mundane. That seems odd, doesn't it? When I was first preaching, started preaching, I would stand at the back door. There's a, you know, those little shotgun churches that would allow somebody like me to come. And usually, uh, a, a very kind, sweet, frail old lady would walk up to me as I'm shaking hands at the back door, and she would say, and I heard this multiple times, and sometimes I still hear it, one day, one day, you'll be a good preacher. <laughs> they, they meant it as encouragement, but boy, did it wound my soul, right? We find ourselves doing this with, with people. We'll walk up to them, or we'll, and we're trying to encourage them, God has big plans for your life. You're going to change the world. You're going to do mighty things. God's going to work powerfully in your life. What if that just isn't true? What if the reality is God has some mundane things planned for your life, and that's actually for your good? Like, there's just going to be stuff that you're going to do in life, and no one's going to give you an award for it. There'll be no plaque with your name on it. He did all the boring stuff. Like, there won't be some prize that you receive, recognition for the things that he has laid out. He, he says, what does the worker gain from his struggles? I've seen the task that God has given the children of Adam to keep them, as the ESV says, busy. I come home and Abby says, how, how, was, how was your day? There are often, I hope that I say, nothing happened. That's a great day. But when I come home and go, oh, you will not believe. This is happening and then this happened and this happened. This fire took place. I had to put this fire out and I started that fire, but don't tell anybody that. I mean, I... But what if I told you God gave you the, the mundane? It, 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 it might be the question that you're asking, but is it all worth it? These everyday moments of life, this boring. You ever told your parents that I'm bored? My dad would say, well, help me clean out the garage. I'm not bored anymore. Got lots of things on the plate, dad. What if I told you God gave you the boring things of life? It's a gift. God has, I think, the mundane things planned for us to remind us of his goodness. 
because God's in the middle of all those little mundane things. The God, God is the God of everything. God is the God of time. God is the God of the mundane. And, and then watch this in verse 11. One of the most famous verses in the book. God is the God of design. Look at this. He has made everything, I think this is the best translation of the word, appropriate. Some of your translations would say beautiful. God has made everything beautiful or appropriate in its time. This is the, as commentators say, the Romans 8.28 of the Old Testament. That God works together for the good of those that love God and are called according to his purpose. He works all things together for their good. This, this is that idea that, that God is, is the God of design. He's, he's orchestrating things. He's the conductor. He, he, he is making and crafting things. He is making everything beautiful or appropriate in its time. God is the God of eternity who's working for your good, even when it doesn't feel good. I don't want anybody to have the cancer diagnosis. I don't want anybody to have the marriage struggle. I don't want anybody to have the children or grandchildren that are rebellious. I don't want... I don't want anybody to have the loss of a loved one like some of you are walking through right now. But, but what, if, what if God has designed that so that you might be drawn closer to him? That your trust and your hope is not in your health and not in how obedient or your children are or, or your job or, your, or anything else, but your hope would be in him. He's the God of design. See, see he, his, in his timing, he is designing and conducting all things for his glory, but also your joy. This is why he says he's put eternity in their hearts. When I was a kid, we, it was described to us as there's this God-shaped hole in our hearts. And often uh, humanity is trying to find some place or some, some, something to fill our hearts up in that the only place that only God can fill. We'll look to our job and we think if I just am successful in my job, I'll be recognized and then I'll, I'll be able to provide and once I can provide, then I can, can bless and, and, and once I bless, then I can leave a legacy. But, but even that doesn't fill us. We think if I, if I give myself to maybe another, another person, maybe, maybe that, that, that might f find fulfillment for me. Or maybe once I have this child, it'll find fulfillment for me. Or, or once I move to this other town, I'll find fulfillment. Or once I buy that thing, it'll find fulfillment. And, and over and over again, we, we run down these, these traps and all of them leave us just as empty as we were when we started, if not more. Why is that? It's because God has put eternity in our hearts. To long for something concrete that will last forever. I mean, how many of us have had friendships that we thought, I'll be friends with this person forever. And a week goes by and you go, I'm not friends with them anymore. I mean, how many of us signed yearbooks as kids? Never change. What a terrible advice. Well, no, no, please change, right? Please don't be the same as you were in high school. Some of you haven't changed. <laughs> but God is the God of design. He's orchestrating and crafting things. And God has put a thirst in us. He's the author, as Hebrews says. But he's not just the author. He's the perfecter.
center of our faith. God created you and I for a purpose. I think that's part of this eternal eternity in their hearts. I think God has created us with, for purpose and significance. And I, I think that really does and is a reality for us. But, but friends, and, and this is where the gospel is needed. We're made in the image of God, but our image of God is distorted and damaged because of sin. And that sin is original to us. We, we inherited it when Adam and Eve chose to follow their own way rather than God's way. And so now every person who's ever been born other than Jesus is born with this mark. Uh, Luther calls it the bondage of sin. He, he even will say that we, we find our gaze most often at our own navels. We, we are so prone to just doing what we do for our own and for nobody else. And even the things that we do that are good are often done with impure motives. We'll do good things for other people with the hopes that somebody might see it and then recognize all the good that we've done. I mean, how many of us have ventured into things and served into things not really wanting, it's like, no, 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 but please. Don't, don't compliment, but please compliment me. My grandmother was a member of, they were members of First Dallas forever. They went to that church whenever they called it Truett's church. It wasn't Criswell's church, even though he was the pastor. It's Jesus's church, really, but, but that's beside the point. She served for over 50 years in a ministry there, teaching immigrants from, from Asia English. English as a second language. That's what she gave her heart to. She loved international missions, although she never went overseas. She loved international missions. And one day, she had, she had been doing this forever. 50 years she'd been doing it. I haven't done nothing for 50. I haven't been alive for 50 years. Can you imagine doing that for 50 years? And so they were going to recognize her in front of the church. And so we all, all of a family, we drove over to First Dallas and sat in those, those red velvety pews. And, and I just wanted to get on my knees because it was cool. They had this little bench thing. And, and, and I wanted to stick her for being a guest. And I wanted to, all these things. And, and they bring her up to the front and they present her this, this little Bible. It was a crystal Bible. It didn't have crystal pages. It didn't turn. It was just this block of crystal. And, and it said, you know, in 50 years of ministry, and they misspelled her name. I thought, what, well, what did you do that for 50 years for? You didn't even get your name spelled right. But not once did she complain about that. She wasn't doing it to be recognized. She was doing it because she loved people and wanted those that were far from God to become followers of Jesus. But how often so many of us will do things for recognition God is designing and crafting something far better than what you could ever be recognized for. He's, he's at work. And this is, this is where, again, the gospel comes into play because our sin has separated us from God. And God, because he's just and righteous, has every right to punish us for our sin, our own choosing. He didn't force us to sin. He's aware of our sin. And he, he sent Jesus on a rescue mission to die in our place. And because Jesus did that, he gives you then the right and the opportunity to become his child. And he's designed all of this so that you might be reconciled, made right with him. He's put eternity in your hearts. He's, he's making everything appropriate and beautiful in his time. He's doing all that so that you might know him and also find where true enjoyment is in life. And to all who would believe, repent of their sin and believe that only through Jesus they can be saved. He, he calls us his children. 
One of the greatest gifts my dad gave me was, as a kid, he'd, he'd pick me up and he'd just put me in his lap and he says, I love you, son. And he doesn't do that anymore, but I'm so glad. And he looks at me and he says, I love you, son, and I'm, I'm proud of you. Now, I don't need that email, Brother of sin. It is. I just need that assurance. The heavenly father looks at us. And because of Christ, he looks at us and says, I love you. I've designed these things so that you might know my goodness and my affection. God is a God of justice, and, and he's going to judge the, both the living and the dead. But, but he's also a God of love and grace and compassion. He's welcoming us unto himself. God is the God of design. Our challenge is the limit of our vision. I've got to move on. 12 and 13, we find that God is the God of en enjoyment. One of the greatest secrets in life is that you get to enjoy God. You get to enjoy God. He says in 12, I know that there's nothing better for them than to rejoice and enjoy the good life. It is also the gift of God whenever anyone eats, drinks, and enjoys all of his efforts. It's okay to enjoy the sizzling pan of fajitas. And if you say, I don't like fajitas. Okay, what? What is it? Salad? Great. Get you that Caesar salad and enjoy those anchovies. Greatest secrets in life is that we can enjoy life. I mean, do you ever sit around your table? We, we used to have a rectangle table. Now we have a round table. And I, there's been times where I've just sat at our table and just went, what a joy. Man, the kids are in our house. Then I go, one day they're going to be gone. I'll enjoy that season too, but I want to enjoy this season here. To go outside, man, the pollen's not too much today. To enjoy the things that we have in life, it's okay to find enjoyment in them. God's the God of enjoyment. He created them. It's okay to enjoy that. How's, how's your perspective of life? I don't understand why Christians are so grumpy sometimes. Man, we, we get to know the God of the universe. He, he looks at us and says, I, I take pleasure in you. I love you. I've given you fajitas. I know where y'all are going to lunch today. It'll change your life when you enjoy this life that God has given why? He's the God of enjoyment. He gave these things. And, and Paul will tell us that whether we eat or whether we drink, whatever we do, we do it to the glory of God. So if you're having a moment, and like, I don't want to eat this. Man, God has blessed us to even be able to taste it. Enjoy this. What a gift. He's the God of enjoyment. Now, he will then transition in verses 14 through 22. And it, it takes a turn. He said, I thought this was going to be positive. It is. He begins to ask some questions. Because not only is he God of everything, not only is he the God of time, not only is he a God of the mundane and the God of design, the God of enjoyment, he's also the God of eternity. He begins to ask some questions and he compares humans to animals and they all go to the same place and it's kind of a, a downward turn. But the reality is that he's trying to get you to remember that the man, we, we do return as dust. 
We die, but what happens to us? What happens to us in that moment? He's God of eternity. Whatever God does, it will last. He asked in verse 22, for, for who can enable him to see what will happen after he dies? Well, God has enabled us to see. God has enabled you to see. You have a longing in your heart. God has brought you here to wrestle and then to settle on what he is doing. Many, many things that we think will last simply won't last. But in Christ, when you trust in Jesus as your Lord, you'll spend eternity with him. Now listen, God, God is... God has done everything. God has done everything in your life so that you might know him and so that you might become more like him. I'm not saying you're going to be a God. But God's will for you is that you would be holy. You cannot be holy unless you know him. And God has been orchestrating all these things all your life so that whatever moment you're in, the happy moments or the sad moments, the the helpful moments and the not helpful moments. That God has designed all of that so that you would come into an encounter with him because every season and everything is meaningless apart from Christ. Or maybe we can say more positively, every season and everything is meaningful in Christ. And there's much you can't make sense of right now in your life, but you need to know God is in control. Are you lonely? What a friend we have in Jesus. You, you curious as to what needs to happen in your life? He, he, he's going to make a way where there seems to be no way. You doubting? Are you doubting his love and affection? Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Friend, I, I don't know what trash you've had to carry this week. Jesus doesn't invite us to keep carrying it around. He invites it to lay it down at his feet. And you may not enjoy this moment in life, but you need to know that God of, above all these things, and he's working and he's moving. Time, time is moving fast. Growing up, we'd go to my grandparents' house and they had this clock you had to wind with a key. How old school is that? And they didn't watch TV much. It was in, they always just kind of rolled it back into the laundry room and then we'd roll it out every once in a while. But it would always be quiet in that house and you'd do this tick tock, tick tock. Time, time is moving fast, way faster. But in God's economy, this time of unrest that you're feeling in your life, there will be a time of peace. It's coming. But it won't be peaceful for those who are far from God, who don't know him. But it will be for those who've trusted in him with their life. Are you someone? Are you someone who you've trusted in Christ? Your, your life will not have any meaning apart from trusting in Christ. That doesn't mean life will go seemingly well now from here on out. It may mean that the thing that the Lord is leading you into will be the hardest thing you've ever done. But he has promised his presence with you. Do you know him? 
not too late to see the God of everything, the God of time, the God of the mundane, the God of design, the God of enjoyment, and the God of, of eternity. It's not too late to know him. It just requires you to admit where you currently are, admit your sin, believe that only through Jesus you can be saved, and confess him. Surrender your life. Let's pray. Father, we come, and we know that there's an occasion for everything, every season, and all of it is meaningless apart from you, and so, Lord, we're asking that even now as we have moment to respond, that, Lord, you would lead us. We would be found to be the people of God that you've called us to be, and, Lord, if there's those in this room that are living in rebellion, whether it be their, the things that they're in, engrossed in, it may be their life, it may be their thoughts, but Lord, you're calling them to lay those things down, repent, and return to you. Father, there may be some in this room that have never trusted in you. Maybe they're even online. Lord, would you give them the Holy Spirit drive to not hold fast to the pew, but to let go and to trust you. God, as time is ticking away, may we fix our eyes back to you, who makes all things beautiful at the appropriate time. We ask this in Christ's name.